Hello, my friends, and welcome to a very special edition of the Wesley Memorial Podcast, our Four Pastors Discuss series. Today, we're speaking with the Reverend Dr. Carolyn Moore. Reverend Moore is the senior pastor of Mosaic United Methodist Church in Evans, Georgia, and she's also the now chair of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. You're going to hear about Carolyn's passions for ministry, her calling, and also her vision for what the new Methodism could look like in the future. We're going to be separating this episode into two episodes as we discuss so many wonderful things during our time with her. We know this episode is going to be a blessing to you, so thank you for listening and subscribing to our podcast. To, to segue a little bit, I know that um, many people around the world, around the country, are praying for an awakening, another mm-hmm. great awakening to come across our land. Um, and this, it's preceded, I think, by this idea that repentance begins with the church, that uh, lamenting begins with the church. Like what, what I mean is, you know, for those listening, um, sometimes we want to look at the culture and say, why isn't people coming to faith in Christ? Why aren't our churches growing? Why aren't people coming to church? And I think before we expect them to repent, it should begin with the church. Um, can we talk about that a little bit, about any Christians listening? Um, I know you already have a little bit about personal lamenting, um, but how that can carry over streets into our neighborhoods, even prayer walking, uh, wherever we wherever we live. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think when when we begin to take our prayers uh, out, you know, outside my own little bubble, my own self, outside my own private time with God, um, I think there is there's a real special presence that goes with that. There's special boldness. It takes a different level of faith uh, to to pray out loud, to cry out loud. I do think we're called to it. I really do believe that this is one part of the Christian church that's just sorely in need of of maturing, uh, learning how to cry out to God together, and learning how to take prayer into uh, out into our communities and speak prophetically that which is not as if it is. But I really think that we're talking about a couple of things here. Um, one is is, is learning how to be comfortable with each other in the place of prayer. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just looking at this screen and I'm sure that whoever's listening to this is looking at a screen as well. Most of you are, if you're not looking at a screen right now, you've looked at plenty of screens. <laughs> you've looked at more than your share of screens. <laughs> There's just so many hidden blessings of COVID and the screen is, you know, everything is a blessing and a curse, but the screen is a blessing as well as a curse. We're tired of screen time. But screen time gives us a chance to experiment in lots of ways that we might not have if we hadn't had this opportunity. So I would just say, if you're part of even a group of three or four people right now that, um, I mean, three or four people that you feel comfortable enough to do spiritual things with, then why not just arrange some regular Zoom times for prayer? Nothing but prayer. Um, I, we've been doing this at Mosaic since, uh, since March 13th. I've had 
regular for a while there. It was every single day. It kind of boiled down. Now I've got three days, 30 minutes each time, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, one of the days is specifically for our church. One of the days is for the next Methodism. One of the days is for awakening. And we do nothing in that time but pray together. Um, and part, we, some, some of that time is, is that, that, that um, Korean term, Tung San Kido. Some of that time we pray all at once. And then some of that time we pray individually so we can agree with each other in prayer. But that's all we do. We get on at 1230. We get off at 1. I, I'm really good at holding those times. And I think that's, you know, that's a permission we need to give ourselves, um, especially spirit-filled, spirit-led people. We, you know, you, we're so afraid if I give you an inch, you're going to keep me for the next three hours, you know, and we just want to squelch the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit can work in these 30 minutes. If that's what you've got, just do 30 minutes worth of, of intercessory prayer together. Come together around um, not your personal problems, but around like, you know, when we pray for our church, we just pray for our church. We don't pray for anybody's personal problems. When we pray for the next Methodism, we just pray for the next Methodism. When we pray for awakening. We just pray for awakening. And um, we'll bring scripture into that. Um, we'll bring things that have, you know, that have come to us as we on the way to this prayer time into that. But we just pray. We just pray. And screen time makes it more convenient. Um, I don't have travel time on top of my 30 minutes and um, I'm right here in my office or my home where it's you know more comfortable for me. Um, so that would be a thing that I would, just a real practical thing I would encourage folks who are listening. If you're not already in a prayer group right now, this season is crying out for inviting us into teeing up the ball for us to pray in groups. You need to be praying in a group. Pick one. I mean, the amount of prayer going on in, in the world right now because of screen time is stunning. I mean, exponentially uh, more prayer going on right now because of screen time. And I thank God for it. It's one of the hidden blessings of COVID. Um, so, so, so that's one thing, just praying intercessory like that. Um, the other kind of prayer I want to talk about just for a minute is prophetic prayer. Um, I, I've mentioned this in other, in other settings, but I want to just mention it here. David Thomas, he talked at, um, maybe in that last new room gathering that the online one about how people deal with big T tragedies. There's, there's little T tragedies. There's the stuff that happens in my life, you know, here and there that it's a, it's a, it's a blow, but I get over it. But then there's big T tragedies, big, big things in our lives that make, you know, they really, they're, they're what PTSD, you know, that's the other side of the big T tragedy, things like tornadoes and earthquakes and pandemics. Um, we're in a big T tragedy right now. Our lives are being deeply impacted right now. And um, so David was talking to some folks who have studied how people respond to big T tragedies, natural disasters and, and other things that bring devastation. And they notice people who study these things that um, it, we tend to cycle through several common stages. The first stage is shock. It's just like, what's just happened to us? I, it's a blow to the system. That's where we were in March, um, just trying to survive. 
Um, then there's a second stage that they call a kind of innovation stage. Once we get through the shock, um, we kind of come to a stage which is we can adapt, you know? It's that get her done, reinvent, uh, replace what's been lost and that's when zoom became a big deal you know and um, and also I don't know about your community but a lot of people in my community were sidewalk chalking each other's driveways and you know leaving things on each other's doors nobody's doing that anymore we you know? <laughs> but we were just trying to be innovative to try to make the most of a bad situation then what happens the third stage kind of splits off into two two groups of people. The majority are, are people who, um, this is hard, this is gonna last a long time. Um, what, what, what happens in this stage is a lot of people just sort of hunker down and, and some, um, they can begin to feel bitter. They can, kind of a feeling like um, distrust settles in at this stage. Um, I'm just gonna take care of me and mine or denial. Can, we can cycle back around into denial. That happens at this stage from, for the majority of people. Um, but inside the stage, for some people, um, people who have given space for lament, um, to let God shape our pain around his truth, these people kind of move into a fourth stage that, um, where we find hope. And it's where we kind of tear our hearts open um, we expose them to God we come to terms with what is we move beyond our physical circumstances we set our gaze on God and we begin to that's where prof, the prophetic voice begins to surface we begin to see what God sees and we begin to call out that which is not as if it is that is a powerful place to be. It's not denial. So it's not, I don't care what everybody else said. I had just this morning, just this morning, I had somebody say, um, my COVID test came back positive, but I don't believe it. And <laughs> it's not that. Um, I'm not saying that all COVID tests are, are accurate. I'm just saying it's not that. It's not that I'm going to deny what's, what's, real but I, what it says is i'm going to start placing my focus on on what god is seeing and i'm going to begin to to to, to think beyond this tr current tragedy and beyond my own personal feelings to what can be and i will begin then to reimagine my own personal prayer life and ask myself, oh, the guy is walking right outside my door and blowing leaves. I'm sorry if you guys can hear it, but it's fine. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm going to begin to, to pray um, uh, kingdom thoughts. You know, I'm going to begin to pray if uh, God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And what is it? What do I see in the kingdom? And how can I bring that to bear on in my prayers for the earth? So I'm going to pray healing over my community. I'm going to begin to pray into uh you know my how can we envision an enlivened and, and a renewed church on the other side of this how can we envision uh richer more real and authentic worship um how can i envision my own family's healing what does that look like and how can i pray that which is not as if it is 
that's a very, that's, it's, a, it's a healing kind of praying. It's a missional kind of praying. And that's what prophetic prayer sounds like when we get serious about it. Yeah, I've, I've heard it said that for the growth of the church in the future, in a, in a macro sense, um, the church needs to rekindle its prophetic voice and not an apologetic voice where we apologize for everything, but we in fact speak prophetically to the culture. I think that that could very well begin in our personal prayer lives, as you're saying. Listen, that is huge what you've just said. That is huge. We tend to apologize our way into everything, you know, into every room that we sit in and apologizing for our disconnect with the culture. And it's because we have not taken authority over the proclamation of the gospel. We are not the people who make this. Yeah. Yeah, we're not the people who make this gospel. We are the we are the reporters of this gospel. And our call is to take authority over this gospel. And um and to and so what you're saying is huge. It's huge. You know, um Alan Hirsch talks about the fivefold ministry. He APEST is the acronym he uses for it. Apostolic, prophetic, um, evangelistic, pastoral and then teaching. I don't know how you make that into an adjective, but anyway, those five things. Um, and, and he says in, the, in, in many mainline denominations, we major on those last three, the, the teaching, the, um, the evangelistic, and the, sh and the pastoral or shepherding gift. We, we tend to major on those three gifts. We have lost our voice for the, for the prophetic and the apostolic gifting. Mm -hmm. The apostolic gifting specifically is, is the, is, is the one out front who says, come on y'all this way. And the one out front who says, come on y'all this way, let's start a new thing. That person depends on the prophetic voice uh, around the, the prophetic voices around who can, um, who can give, uh, who, who, who can confirm the word of the Lord. It's that the word of the Lord usually comes corporately, not, not individually. Um, we need to reclaim the apostolic gift and the prophetic gift in the, in the Methodist movement. Word. Anybody have anything else to share? Since I'm just me talking. Uh, Carolyn, I was wondering if you could speak about uh, in regards to the role of prayer in the move of God within the United Methodist Church and the church worldwide. Uh, as a whole, uh, the role of prayer in the move of God and specifically what barriers you see to us uh, participating in the move of the Spirit through prayer in our lives, what barriers you see um, that are inhibiting that taking place and us taking part in it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, this is a great question. It's a very complicated thing evidently we don't pray <laughs> but that little thing we just don't pray that ends up being really complicated because what we do instead is we make a thousand billion excuses for why we don't pray but actually prayer is not brain surgery i mean it sort of is and the fact that it changes the way we think but it's it's not it's not rocket science. It's not, it, it's just at some point we have to change our schedules around so that we 
have significant amounts of time to pray. And so for all the people, and, and, and we're all in the same boat together. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a pastor, not a pastor, or a banker, or a person who works 18 hours a day, or a person who stays home. You don't pray. You don't pray. We don't pray. We just don't. Even the disciples who sat at the feet of Jesus, the, the most fundamental question they asked him was, teach us how to pray. My guess is that what they were really saying is, teach us how to pray so we can do what you do without us actually having to give up anything about how, you know, I don't really want to give up my sleep. I'm not really going to give up my, you know, my, I definitely don't want to give up my Netflix time. I don't want to get my family time. Family's important. Um, I, and I don't want to do it in public. I don't want to give up my face. Um, so teach me how to pray like that. But there's no prayer like that. There just is no prayer like that. There's no prayer that doesn't require, that, that will not ask of me some sacrifice somewhere. So the prayer that, the, the, the hardest thing I do every day is get out of bed. I love to sleep. My bed's my favorite place in the whole world. I love to sleep. I can, I'm a pro. Um, if, if napping was a spiritual gift, I got that one down. And my daughter has gotten it from me. She and I both talk about napping is, we're waiting for Jesus to. <laughs> I love the thought of being slain in the spirit because it's just a spiritual nap. Come on, bring it. But I get up. Because there is no way once my motor has started running that I am going to slow down again during the day to give significant time to prayer. Um, I, again, the, the, the hidden blessing of COVID is I've carved out time from, from 1230 to 1 every day to pray together with, with other people. Um, but, but I give time in the morning to prayer and to, to scripture study. It's as simple as that. You've got to find your, you gotta, you've got to look at your calendar and look at your life and you have to find time to make it happen. I want it to be something different. I want it to be something easier, but it's just not. You've got to find time that you can commit to. And, and, and the reason it has to be a specific time is because when you, when you say, well, I'll get to it, it doesn't work. The person who says to me, I just pray all day long, my response to that person is, no, you don't. You're just talking to yourself all day long. That's not prayer. Prayer actually requires focused attention on the voice of God. That's, that is not a multitasking event. It demands my whole heart. Um, and, and so, um, you know, in a conversation with the Lord of the universe, I'm pretty sure that my voice is not the more intelligent voice. So <laughs> I, I, I need focused, dedicated time to stop and listen for the voice of God so I can learn the voice of God, so I can understand how the voice of God shows up in my life, so that in the middle of the day when I need the voice of God to show up, I'm not just defaulting on my opinion and then calling that the voice of God. Everything that we call the voice of God is not the voice of God, but the more you practice it, the more, the more you'll come to understand it. So you want to know how, how this works in a movement, it, happens, it starts with me. And then from me getting that hunger for prayer, I then begin to, um, you know, to invite others into that prayer time. Um, it all rides, it all rides on every person's individual 
commitment to and capacity for dedicated prayer. Good word. I, I've heard it said people do what's important to them. Yeah. Simple. Whatever's important to you, it's what you do. Right. Better or worse. Right. I wish I knew that I, I might be able to pull it up while I'm talking about it, but um, I was, you know, I'm a writer and I have a book that's waiting to be written and I have found a thousand reasons not to sit down and write that book because it's really hard. Every, any writer will tell you it's really hard to sit down and write. Uh, so a friend of mine, just brilliant friend, um, told me one day, I want you to not feel any, I don't want you to write. I don't want you to write a word. Don't write any word. I just want you to read this one book. Let me see if I can pull it up. Um, I'm not going to be able to pull it up right off the top of my head. Shame, shame, shame. But anyway, she gave me this book. It's really, it's a really short book. It's not a Christian book. It's just about, uh, it's written by a guy who writes and it's all the reasons why you should not write your book. <laughs> just, oh, here it is. It's called the war of art. Um, and it's um, the, the subtitle is breakthrough the blocks and win your inner creative battles, the war of art. Like I said, it's not Christian. So I've just um, given you a book that's a little bit on the rough side um, in terms of its language in some places. But, but she said, I don't want you to write anything. I just want you to read this book. And this guy, he's a writer. He's just get all the excuses why you shouldn't be writing. And when you're, as, you're, as you're reading it, you're realizing the excuses I've made for myself, it's the same excuses every other writer has, has made. And, um, and every person who buys those excuses, every person who buys that excuse not to write, the person who does not write, you're not a writer, you're a non-writer. I wanna say to you, every person who buys the excuse not to start praying is a person who does not pray. You're not a praying person who just hasn't prayed, you're just a person who doesn't pray. So go find the war of art and let it shoot down all your reasons, all your excuses for why you should not find a dedicated hour in your day and begin to pray. Thank you for sharing that, Carolyn. Um, I think it really speaks to, uh, to the excuses. <laughs> uh, it's, it speaks to the reasons uh, why that we don't. Yeah. Yeah, we're just yeah, that's really powerful. Yeah, every one of us is just battling against our fallen human nature. Mm -hmm. Our fallen human nature is pressure against the spiritual life. But and that's what we're trying to overcome. It's just mm -hmm. that simple. Well, let's take a moment and and as we're talking about prayer and how so many people are as you said, even your your prayer groups at 1230 are praying for a new Methodism. Mm -hmm. We're starting to vision that and um, pray, pray our way into that new reality that as United Methodists, we will find ourselves. Um, I personally believe we're on the cusp of a new reformation. We're on the cusp of a new transformation of the Methodist church. Um, and and I, I think it's good to let any lay people listening know a bit more of what's happening in the world of United Methodism. And we had a, a good substantive talk with Dr. David Watson about that last time. Um, 
And I wanted to segue into that conversation about um, ways that we can, as you said in your recent blog post about how we can seek to understand and not just be understood while also we're not compromising on what is um, biblical truth. But maybe on a general sense, what, what, what are you hoping for for the next Methodism? What, what do you feel like God is stirring up within you of what that could look like? It comes back to that question that I asked, sensed uh, being asked through me back when I was in seminary that led me on that personal journey. Is this church, this thing that we have, the churches that we sit in now, is this what God was thinking when Jesus handed it to us um, at his ascension? Mm-hmm. I really think it begins with our ecclesiology. And the United Methodist Church has had a very low ecclesiology. Uh, we have a high institutionalism and a low ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. Um, as Methodists, I mean, we're not called Methodists for nothing. We, we have a method for everything, and we've really, we've really systematized ourselves almost literally almost to death. Um, but we've, we've really come, we've come to the place now where the system has become more important than the, than the high understanding of what it means to be a church, to have a gospel message, to have a theology and a doctrine. Um, that, that, that is not, that is not one we've developed, but what we have, uh, been entrusted, what has been entrusted to us by the generations that we are now have responsibility for carrying into the next generation. That really depends. The vessel is the church for that message. And, uh, to be the church as God intends means developing a high ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is a study of what it means to be the church, the, the gathered people of God. And again, there's been a hidden blessing in COVID, and that is that we've had to really become intentional about what it means to gather, um, what, it, what it means to actually worship, to gather, to share in the sacraments together. What does it mean to be a member when everybody's on the screen? Um, and half of your screen, not half, but you know, some of your screen audience is not even living in your same town. Um, what, what does it mean to be the gathered body? And I think that's something that we need to recover. We, we need to recover a clear ecclesiology that explains what it means to be the church with Christ as the head and us as the body. Uh, we, we need a clearer understanding of, or a clear understanding of what it means to be the church in the 21st century in this digital age uh, where we're using uh, media in all the ways that can be helpful, but we're not allowing media to stand in the way of the incarnational word, the, the, uh, the flesh and blood <laughs> um, uh, body of Christ both in the gathered people and also in the sacrament. Um, I, I think it means as Methodists recovering what is, or, or renewing, really renewing what is good about our system, but being willing to shake off the dead. Um, we have a lot of just, we've got a lot, we've, we've our, 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 our structures have become top heavy and patriarchal, not in the, not in the sense, I don't mean that in any kind of uh, gender laden sense of that term, just, I mean it in terms of just a, just a, a heavy hierarchical system 
maybe hierarchical, hierarchical is a better word. We need to flatten our systems so that we are in partnership with one another rather than feeling this, this uh, terrible uh, weight of, of, um, the, of, a, of a hierarchical system that um, rewards some and, and leaves others behind. Um, I think we need to recover the, our, our real, our, the, what makes us Methodist in the theological sense is grace. It's our systematized understanding of grace, prevenient grace, justifying grace, sanctifying grace, and perfecting grace. And um, we, we have, you know, the evangelical Methodists have, uh, have, have emphasized justifying grace. Um, the progressive Methodists have emphasized prevenient grace. Um, there is a move about, and can, can, uh, Kevin Watson has given us a great gift and two really good books on the uh, class meeting mm -hmm. and spiritual discipline, and he is helping to restore the, uh, the notion of sanctifying grace. But Kevin Watson would say, our real distinctive is perfecting grace. Jesus said, be perfect because your father is perfect. Uh, really shooting for perfection and love in this life. That's what we have to offer the body of Christ. That's the unique place we take in the body of Christ and the unique gift we offer to the body of Christ. And if we are not really emphasizing perfected, perfecting grace, this idea that I am going on toward perfection, that my spiritual life is not just fire insurance. It is, it is, a, it is working out my salvation every single day with with uh, fear and trembling. Um, if I've not taken on that mantle and mentality, then um, I would say as a corporately, Methodists are taking up needless space in the body of Christ. That needs to be recovered in the next Methodism. Those are just some places. You know, I could, I could talk all day long about some of the systemic reforms, but those are just some place I, places I think where personally and theologically we need to rethink and renew. Good stuff. Jeff, did you want to share about? Yes, I would like to. Uh, you mentioned the Wesleyan Covenant Association. Uh, I've been supportive of it since it was founded. Um, say a word about it. I know you're, you're vice chair. Um, say, say a word about it because some of our people listening may uh, not be very familiar at all. Just You don't have to say much, but enough to tweak their interest and uh, perhaps uh, talk about your role in the okay. WCA. Um, is this airing now or are we recording? We're just recording. Recording, okay. So um, I just wanna say uh, this, um, by the time this comes out, it will be then uh, more public knowledge that I'm not the vice chair anymore, I'm the chair. Oh, great. So. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. It's sort of like, what, like the dog that caught, caught the car. I, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jeff Greenway has Jeff Greenway has been the most remarkable apostolic leader uh, of the WCA from its inception. And I was in the room from the very beginning conversations about the formation of WCA, and I watched Jeff just immediately catch the vision um, when he was uh, voted in. It was it was just an obvious he, he was just the obvious leader among us as we formed that original council. And our council, our bylaws, 
said that we should that, that a council chair would only serve for three years we extended it by four years so that he could we thought general conference would happen this year and it didn't um, so he's stepped down by necessity not by uh, any not by any other reason just you know an organization needs to have to stay stay with his bylaws and not continue to amend them so uh, so I have now stepped up to be chair um, and I would just make this um, I guess a, a side note really but it's it's a it's a comment I hear so often about the WCA about the movement uh, as we prepare for the next Methodism there's just this uh, a fear that somehow and because we think we're conservative theologically that we will leave women behind um, I, I need to say that that has not been my experience in public in private at all not at all um, in fact I would say that uh, Keith Boyette the president of the WCA and uh, Jeff uh, Greenway the chair of the council have both been insistent that we um, that we preach an egalitarian gospel and uh, I, I just I think that uh, you know so many pieces of our old system the the current United Methodist system are, are more oppressive toward women than we want to give credence um, the renewed Methodism and the next Methodism my vision really is to see uh, all of God's people unleashed for the work of God and the the gospel and I'm just I'm excited about being able to restore that the voice of conservative women who have felt um, I think in many ways stifled that voice the voice of conservative wisdom women has been stifled so I'm excited to see it interject at this point uh, Carolyn in Western North Carolina uh, that's been an ongoing conversation too because of course we've heard the same concerns and uh, our leadership, our council has been um, from the beginning, very committed uh, yeah. to an egalitarian gospel, yeah. uh, to empowering women, to making sure that uh, uh, the, the council and the movement looks like the body of Christ. Right. And, and we're clear that um, uh, women in leadership is not just part of a social contract, but that's, that's, that's part of our theology of the spirit. Exactly. And, and exactly. so we're, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're starting with this because well, this is something that needs to be said over and over. Yeah, I really appreciate everything that you've just said, Jeff, because it's always a little like it sounds like I'm beating a, beating a drum, my own drum, but that's not the case. It just, I just keep hearing that comment and I just think it's one, as long as we live in a fallen world, there will be hierarchies. And, uh, and, um, and, and, and as long as we live with folks who have fear, um, they're going to try to, you know, place the fears on some argument or another. But um, I can just say, both publicly and privately, I have never been in a conversation where women have been anything less than fully embraced as leaders and, uh, and in fact, encouraged and advocated for. And how exciting to think, you know, that we could be part of a movement where the whole people of God really are being unleashed. And uh, while, while the, on the other side of an amicable separation, um, our branch may be smaller, I think we can also really uh, capitalize on the diversity, both in gender and in, and in uh, uh, ethnicity, everything. It was just it's, it's very exciting to me. So um, WCA is, is 
We are continuing to prepare for general conference as if it will happen in August, September of 2021. Please continue to pray that our, the leaders of the United Methodist Church, the, the Council of Bishops will uh, just have faith in the advances that we've seen in the vaccine and that move forward toward a gathering in August, September if for no other reason than to address this one issue. We're just seeing a, a lot of, we're fraying around the edges, just uh, the weight has not helped us, um, anybody. Um, in fact, just this week, uh, a, a strongly progressive group has announced their intention to start a new denomination. Um, we're all, we're all trying to stay patient, but, uh, we don't want to lose heart. So continue to pray and advocate in every possible way for um, general conference to happen in whatever way it needs to happen so that that decision can be made so we can move forward. Um, we continue to uh, structure ourselves as, a, as an organization. The w, the, of course, the WCA is not the next Methodism. It is the, it is the midwife. Um, and it's it served a very useful purpose in terms of making our collective voice known in the denomination. I'm really uh, gratified by that. But when the next, uh, once a general conference has uh, made that vote that we can move forward, um, then a new denomination, there will be a constituting conference, a new denomination will be announced. And I'm uh, just very excited to see um, the structures that we've been dreaming begin to play themselves out. We have written a book of doctrines and disciplines, and I'm sure that if David Watson was on a previous uh, conversation with y'all, that you got lots and lots about that. It's just a um, streamlined and beautiful expression of what we believe Methodism can be. And uh, and then we continue to explore uh, you know, real, real um, important issues like uh, what is our ecclesiology? What is our sacramentology? Um, what is it going to look like? What, it, what's a, what will it look like in terms of uh, leadership? Um, the episcopacy, what will that look like in the next Methodism? Um, we're just continuing to um, explore those conversations in smaller groups and we invite, we invite input. Uh, we really want this to be, uh, we want the structure to serve the people rather than the other way around. <laughs> so I hope that helps in terms of just thumbnail sketch of where we are right this moment. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sherilyn. And, I, and I, um, I'm thrilled that you'll be the new chair. Thank you. Yeah, very much. It's humbling. And uh, they, it's, it's, a, it's one of those David moments. They could have picked, a, they could have picked bigger, stronger, uh, more seasoned people, but uh, I am very, very grateful that uh, they've entrusted me with uh, the care of the council while we keep it. I am too. And is that new, the Book of Discipline, I don't know if that's what it's called, called, is that available online anywhere? Yes, you can go to the Wesleyan Covenant, uh, Wesleyancovenant.org, I think is the, is the website, Wesleyancovenant.org. And you can find all of that stuff on, there's a lot of stuff on there. And of course, uh, Keith um, has a, they have a, a, a conversation every week, uh, Keith and a couple of people there. Also, we have a podcast. Um, we're 
weekly articles that you can um, get get in your inbox. There's a lot on the Wesleyan Covenant um, website, so I invite you to go there. And the Book of Doctrines and Disciplines, the parts that have been released are on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to any Methodist listening, this might be the first time you've ever wanted to read a Book of Discipline. I <laughs> and you notice, Carolyn, because I think this is uh, becoming standard, uh, we are saying the Book of Doctrines and Discipline. Uh, that's, yes, uh, that's, that's true. A historic term for it. I know in, in recent generations, we've just referred to it as the discipline, but for several of us, that word doctrine is important. It's true. For all of us. <laughs> you have a doctrine, whether you believe it or not, I mean, whether, you, whether you call it that or not, you have a doctrine. In the same way that every worship service has a liturgy, whether you call yourself liturgical or not, you have a way of doing things. It's a worldview. And uh, as you said, Jeff, the Book of Doctrines and Disciplines is a historical term. It was the original name, and we've just recovered that because doctrine Correct. and uh, our, our theological laziness got us where we are. We want the word in front of us to remind us that we don't want to go there again. That's right. Mm -hmm. Well... Carolyn, you're, we so appreciate your time. We don't want to take up your whole afternoon, but we really appreciate you doing this. Um, well, as we close, I would like to have a time of prayer. Uh, if you would pray for our listeners, and then I'd be honored to pray for you um, as we close this time together. So uh, if you'll start, I'll, I'll finish. Absolutely. Lord Jesus, it is such a grace to be connected in this way. I am grateful, God, really grateful for the hidden blessings of a bad season. The screen being one of them, chance to be with this um, uh, kind and encouraging group of people today being one of them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Lord, I want to pray over all of us together. Um, I want to pray Wesley's rules. Lord, would you keep us from doing harm in our conversation, in our thoughts, um, in our online posts, in our frustrations? Uh, keep us from harm, Lord, and from doing harm. I want to pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace to do good in all the ways we can, not just in the convenient ways, Lord, or the comfortable ways, but in all the ways we can, Lord. I'm praying good in this season. Help us, Jesus, to remember those who are quarantined and those who are sick and those who are depressed and those who are unemployed and those who are uh, raising children in a single, a single parent household who are trying to figure out the school, no school dance and and children who don't understand, Lord, help us to do good in all the ways we can. And Lord, I pray in the spirit of this conversation that you would give us the grace to attend to the ordinances. Lord, we lament our laziness around prayer and around the spiritual disciplines and we repent them and we ask you, God, give us the grace to uh to discipline ourselves to hear your voice 
to intercede for our families, our church, our country, our world. Lord, to turn our frustrations and our opinions into prophetic and intercessory prayer where they can do the most good. That's my prayer for our people, Lord, and I do pray together with this group over the next Methodism and the prospect of being able to start fresh. Lord, would you give us the grace to see this through? If you would do that, Lord, we would be so grateful. We love you, Jesus. Amen. God, we thank you for this time and do pray your blessing on all those listening and thank you for your servant Carolyn and how you have called her for such a time as this. You have prepared and equipped her with uh, gifts and graces that your church needs at this very hour. We thank you, Lord, that um, you have, you're speaking through her in ways that the church needs to hear, especially women in ministry that we're looking for a place and don't know where to land. Lord, I pray, thank you, Lord, for her example that you're going to use on your church um, in the years to come. God, I pray for special wisdom for her, for her words, for her thoughts, for her direction, for her leadership, for her and the council. Um, and continue to pray, Father, that you give them ears to hear your leading and hearts to receive, God, your, your, your words for them to put into practice. Um, thank you for their prayerful hearts, their hearts that are sober and ready and willing to go forward in an incredibly exciting opportunity that lays in front of us, God. And I pray for all of us that we would not be see it as daunting, but would really have that prophetic apostolic uh, vision for the future that we march for, God. Um, we pray that we continue to help unleash your kingdom, God, into the world. May all those listening, um, continue as sowers who plant seed for the next great awakening, for the next revival that will sweep across our nation and our world, and that is sweeping across our world. Um, we let this time to you, Father, and pray your blessing on it. We do indeed worship you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Carolyn, again. We so appreciate you and blessings on your ministry. Thank you. Thank you. Great being Thanks. together. We really appreciate being with y'all. Thanks a lot. Great being together. Thank you.